0: podcast with your guide Hector Navarro and here he is
1: now Oh my gosh, that's right, Olmec. Thank you so much. We are here at San Diego Comic-Con 2016. We're at the Nickelodeon booth, and Nickelodeon has been running around and doing so much. There's so many panels. There's so much to see. We've got a beautiful booth right here in the middle of the convention floor. There's a giant Olmec head giving out advice and telling stories. There's a Hey Arnold stoop. You can take a picture with Arnold and Gerald and Helga on the stoop there. There's a Double Dare huge nose you can pull boogers and prizes out of. It's, It's amazing, and we've got so much to do. And so many people to talk about. So let's get right into it.
2: Nick, 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 nick,
1: nick. Guys. We're here at the Nickelodeon booth at Comic-Con and I'm sitting with the cast and executive producer of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They did their panel today. It was awesome. They screened an episode. The audience went nuts. They're just coming off of a signing. So I'm here with Ciro Nieli, executive producer, Rob Paulson who does the voice of Donatello, Sean Astin who does Raphael, Greg Sipes who's Michelangelo, Mae Whitman is April O'Neil, Claw is Eric Bauza, Gwendolyn Yao is playing Sheeny, and we're all here you guys had an awesome panel today I just want to go around the two tables here I just want to ask everybody uh, how'd you feel about the panel uh, hi this is Rob Paulson Donatello for you guys um, it was
3: great it's and we've been doing it now four or five years in a row never gets old the fan base is so dedicated and uh, to have uh, the beautiful Gwendolyn yo with us today and and um, we love having May even when she's liquored up I mean even when she's no, it's just, a, it's an absolute gas. Really great. Yeah.
4: How did I feel about today? It was awesome. I mean, it was a good, it was a nice change for us. We get to just show something to the fans. But my job was easy. I got to just, you know, chill out and watch my favorite show that I get to make with all my fans. So that was awesome. You know, it's not every day I get to do that. Wendellyn, are you still feeling the high from the panel and then the
1: signing that just which it just happened?
5: Um, I, oh my gosh. First of all, it's just such an honor to be, you know, in this room with you guys because you know that you guys have been doing this for four seasons and I'm coming in mid fourth season so it's been a it's like one of those like surreal moments you're like oh my god Sean Austin oh my god Rob Paulson even though I've I've stalked Paulson forever Um, but and to have you know May come, come on board and You know, to just also have, like, not just high IQ, but EQ was just talking about April's character. It really, like, you know, I think everybody here has that, that sort of intelligence quotient, but also, like, using our, like, emotional quotient. And that creates, like, such an amazing um, um, tapestry of work. And I was blown away by the episode that Ciro did. I mean, he doesn't look that talented, but he actually is really that talented. And he
3: isn't. And you know, the thing is, we're sitting here at this, you guys can't see this, but we're sitting at this table with fan art that is given to us every time, and the it's the depth of love for this show that people take their time to create this and drive from everywhere
1: is so wonderful. It's
3: fantastic. Yeah.
1: I want to ask over here on this side of the table, Eric, what,
6: was, what is it like to be in front of the fans? I mean, you've done this before, but what was it like today? Well, any time you get to sit down and watch an episode, I mean, when we go into the booth, we're in there just sometimes by ourselves, sometimes with a group of people, but when you're actually there with the people that it's made for, and you get to hear that reaction, it's like being at a live taping of an actual show, like on TV, uh, so when you actually feel the, the admiration and the, the cheers, and it, it just it warms me, it warms my heart. I love it. Sean, man of a thousand cons at this point.
7: <laughs>
1: what was today like? What was it like seeing that episode in front of everybody and then doing the signing?
7: Oh, I was sitting next to Ciro, and I, I, I think I had the same feeling that Eric had. Which, you know, how often do they get... I mean, the show's seen by millions of people... But how often do they get to watch it with people who love it? So I was enjoying, kind of like as a parent when you watch a movie with your kids and you see the movie again through your kids' eyes. I was actually seeing it through Ciro's eyes, and the, it's a movie. It's not even a TV show. I mean, the emotional weight of it when when April uh, becomes Konuichi, I was. It was so moving. I mean, it was like I I never really liked the sh- the cartoons back in the '80s. I didn't know them back then. Yeah, I did too. And 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 uh, but the but. The one, she was, April O'Neil was kind of the, the coolest gateway in for me, like, the the human. And uh, and she's pretty, and she's smart, and I have daughters, and so she kicks butt. And now we've lived with her for four years, and, I, you know, I've seen people dressed up as April O'Neil all over the world, and everything else, and now all of a sudden, there will never be a time, ever, in all of Turtle Mania, where she's not, eventually, a Konoichi. And and we, we were there today for that moment, for that graduation ceremony. I felt like a, I felt like an uncle or somebody, or you know, I was just so, so proud of it. I've been
1: waiting to ask May this: What was it like for you to be there with the crowd for that April moment?
8: It was like a huge episode for her and to sort of come back and be around everybody and then also get to watch her go through the thing that she's kind of been striving for, you know, this whole series. She's kind of been trying to find herself and find her place amongst these people and these warriors and find her strengths and she's really honed them and been so disciplined and focused and now it's all happening and she really feels, she's always been part of the team, but now she's like really, really part of the team she's and the real deal now. she's the real deal now and there's no stopping her and it's so cool. I mean, I mean, it was really beautiful and it was emotional and to get to share it with everybody while you were watching it all live, I mean, that's like the coolest thing ever so I feel honored. What a
3: great example for young girls though. Yeah. Both you and, and Gwendolyn and Kelly too. Strong, powerful, an action-adventure, ostensibly, a you know, used to be a boys action-adventure show and it is so great to see that and the audience ate it up and so many little seven or eight, nine, ten-year-old girls are going, wow, this is, This is really cool and it's inclusive but it's not contrived, it was part of the story.
1: Very beautiful. I want to. I want to ask about that. Yeah.
8: You know, we were talking about how like April's power is like intuition based, and how she's like so mindful and aware of her own stuff. We're doing the hand. You can't see it because it's a podcast, but we are doing it. To, it. yeah, to trust yourself and your MI. I'm telling the truth, right? It's like it is. It's to trust yourself and listen to your own senses and be mindful and be considerate of others. And I think that's something that we've really lost, just generally as a society, is like the tendency to be sensitive and considerate and mindful about what's actually going on around you so i think hopefully like garnering that awareness especially starting young with girls and boys you know kind of like making that be a superpower is to be you know mindful it's really cool yeah um so yeah i love when may speaks. You. it just sparks uh,
5: such a great conversation and, and and it's so true and i wish kelly kelly was here uh, shout out from kelly through me um, but you know you know what i will say that in, in terms of you know strong women characters. I mean, we're, I just remember one of my, uh, gosh, when I I started this 12 years ago and I, I did Final Fantasy X-2 and I just, you know, it was like a, a strong woman character. And it was about the power of friendship and the loyalty of friendships between women. And you see that between Karai and Shinigami. And you, you don't see that very often anymore. You know, and I think that's why, uh, what's the one that, with the, oh, ever the singing, the chick with the ice, throws ice picks. Frozen. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. It wasn't. It was a nickel, It wasn't Nicholas. I don't know. But it's like you know where where I think you know Shinny is choosing to be utterly supportive of her friend Karai, and I think you know April finding her own independence and and being able to stand up to you know stand up for herself, and and she's not intimidated. So I think that's really beautiful, and 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 that and that. And that the, the characters around her, these uh, the, these turtles, are 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 embracing of that. That they're compassionate men, and that it's okay.
1: Rob, you mentioned earlier that this franchise, this property, was traditionally thought of as a boy thing, and the fan base for this iteration of turtles is so split down the middle. There's, to see all of the female fans, the little girls, along with the boys, it's amazing. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Is that was that something that was built in? To the beginning of the show, or was that something that was a happy surprise? Was that something that you guys were aware when you came
4: on to it or had no idea? This this started happening, Sipes knows because we were on Titans together. And that I f- that I felt like was the first American kind of mainstream show that was thought of more like it was should have been for boys. And by the end we had tons of girls. And we started noticing that we actually the we had more girl fans than boys. And then I think since then It's just become natural for me to think that way, Um, but to just like wrap it up really quick. When I uh, when I started this show, and they said uh, I had to pitch it, and they said, "Well, what about the turtles?" And I said, "What do you mean, what about the turtles?" Because they wanted a new take, and I just I wanted to keep the turtles the way they were. I was like, I think it's all about April, like because April's the one that kind of was the the piece that didn't make sense in the old show. Sure. She was, well, she was only the damsel in distress. Right, always. And like a so, big sister. Right. right. Yeah. So, because they wanted something so different, so they allowed me to keep the rest of the show straight if I went really crazy with April. Yeah. And uh, so I really based, like my initial pitches were all drawings of April and they're all about April. She's like my little, uh, she's like my little
7: goddaughter. This version of this show doesn't allow for guys to think that That girls are icky. There's just not. Well, there's
8: no, I mean, there's no separation nowadays, thank God. And we're working for that more and more, but like, just generally speaking, there's girls and boys are all doing the same stuff and having their own powers and bringing their own thing to the game, so I I love that just like Sean's saying, there's no apology for being a girl. I mean, I can't tell you in so many cartoons and movies, everything, you know, with adults, whatever, there's always the slight apology for being a girl in like a man's universe or whatever, and this show, it's it's like, there's no question. You don't think about it. There's no, it doesn't come up. It's not an issue. There's just, there's no room for it because it's not how it is anymore for us. And, and, yeah, and everybody needs each other and everybody's like a, an equal part of the team. And I think it's amazing because the, it's, it's so powerful. I mean, I have to say, most of the fans I know of, like my friends' kids and everything, um, are girls, are little girls, and they just love it. And they love every part of it and the fighting and the love stories and all the, you know, it's, it really is like a human show so i think it just kind of erases all those lines and you know
4: i just wanted to add that uh our crew's notorious for having the most badass female artists in the industry that's true we got some really in uh, the girls on my crew like can school some people hard i'm fearful of a handful of them. so it's become this weird yeah i find myself you gotta understand, you go back 20 years to this industry and it was a bunch of guys still smoking in their offices yeah. and we weren't making stuff for girls and to now have really I feel like girls that grew up loving Teen Titans, learning to draw that I'm hiring now that can school me, has been pretty neat yeah. so it's a different world. Guys, a
1: really cool thing happened really cool thing happened to me, too, while we were sitting here. I've never met Greg Sipes, and literally right when I sat down, he, of course, started eating an avocado and some organic walnuts, and he's completely matching the idea that I had of who Greg Sipes was. Greg, how are you doing, brother? <laughs>
4: Man, I feel like uh, everything is aligning for global healing. It might be a turtle-delic experience uh, that the world is actually witnessing and being affected by our show, even the balancing out of female roles. Um, Mother Earth is a female, and the fact that in our show we're balancing out, you know, giving respect to girls and empowering women means we're on the right direction to global healing.
7: Yes.
1: But The turtles belong to the animal world, the nature world, and man's world. It's this beautiful combination of everything. I feel like there is enlightenment and then there's Greg Sipes up here. Like we're all, we're trying to get to there.
4: Yeah. How was that avocado? How was it? It was wonderful. It was very green. It was organic and um, it was very satisfying. It was itself.
3: Never before in the history of the entertainment business has there been a more perfectly cast character than <laughs> Greg Sipes as Michelangelo.
1: I don't, th- I don't think he's been told that he wasn't playing himself up to this point. I think that, I think you guys are just letting him in, and you just l- ask.
7: Written- I think Mikey's being written for <laughs> Sipes.
3: <laughs> Absolutely
1: joyful. I got a question for you, Eric. Eric, can you do me a favor? Can you encourage kids to allow themselves to pretend like they're bad guys? You've talked about what it's like to be a bad guy, and you're such a nice
6: guy. Here's the thing though about Tiger Claw. He's now for me, when I watch every episode, he's become the wily e. coyote of the series because he's what he, he gets mean, he gets like really rowdy, but he gets an air conditioner dropped on him, uh, He's he's been hit by a truck, now he's just been blown up in an episode, and you know he's gonna be in the next one. That cat has more than nine lives, that's for sure. Uh, But, yeah, if you're an actor.
7: I'm sitting next to Ciro, and the explosion happens, and I go, is he dead? And Ciro just looked at me and said, no. No."
6: (laughs) You heard, meep, meep, and then, like, a roadrunner drives by. It's kind of crazy. No, but he's, he's
7: wanting to know about expressing your, that, exploring that piece of villainy within yourself. Is it safe to do it? Is it, right, that's what...
6: Well, it's, it's a combination of, of good writing and being in the care of an amazing voice director, Andrea Romano. She kind of, you know, you, you get the copy, you read it as much as you can at home to prepare. But when you're at work, all that kind of goes out the window because you have producers there, Brandon, Ciro, helping carve out a performance that you may not have known existed with all the studying that you could have had. And the fun of it is being able to explore being evil as evil as you can be. But I'm not like that. But try using this voice at in and out in the drive-thru. I'll have a combo to make it animal style. Yeah.
7: I don't know. The shaking, handing <laughs> you the bag. No, but I mean, to me, I don't know that sometimes kids make the conscious uh, delineation between the experience they're having with a show that they love or characters they love and what it means kind of philosophically or for their own life. But... Evil exists in the world, and it's been brilliantly depicted in art through all of human history. And it's really okay, in my opinion, it's okay for kids to experiment with that for themselves. As long as they understand what is the overarching Message of the Turtles, which is that you have to harness your power and you have to use it for good. So yeah, people want to know what it's like playing a good guy or a bad guy, and actors will always tell you it's more fun playing the bad guy because we don't get to be bad in this world. It's a safe place to be to experiment with those ideas without actually going there. And I think if the world did that more, it would be uh, we'd be closer to Avocado Land.
1: Guys, thank you so much. This has been a blast. I really, really appreciate it. I hope you guys have a great rest of your afternoon. Noon. I hope that you felt all of the love in this love fest We did. and you take it with you the rest of the day and have a great time Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate it folks for listening. Well, booyakasha guys there it is. There's Ninja Turtles. That was awesome. What a great group of people Afterwards, we got a chance to talk to voice acting legend, man of a thousand voices, man of a thousand animal creature sounds and noises, D. Bradley Baker. We talked about everything from Avatar The Last Airbender, Star Wars Clone Wars, to Legends of the Hidden Temple, and also that time he voiced Daffy Duck for Space Jam. And he's still voicing Daffy, so here it is guys, check it out.
9: D, how you doing today? I'm doing well. (laughs) I'm doing great. It's it's thrilling to be here at the uh, convention, to see everyone getting into whatever they're into in their own weird way, and uh, it's such a positive, inclusive, creative um, uh, community of people. I I love being at a a convention, and this this is the biggest one of all. This
1: year, 2016 marks the 25th anniversary of Nicktoons that started in 1991 this is why Nickelodeon's doing this podcast and and I get to talk to people about animation in general here's one of my favorite questions to ask people who eventually end up in the industry do you have a, a first memory of animation
9: well yeah I mean my first my first memory of animation was probably the jungle book which my dad took me to and I was really upset that Mowgli went with that little girl with the with a bucket of water on her head at the end it really it just Busted me up and I cried and I was very upset. Um, and then, beyond that, beyond the trauma and heartache of, of that movie, uh, which is a fantastic movie, uh, is probably Looney Tunes when I was a kid. I really loved watching those. I remember asking my dad, How does Wile E. Coyote get fixed up so quickly after he smashes, you know, at, at the bottom of the canyon? And he explained to me that it was a cartoon. <laughs> And then I understood. And you've got such an interesting and incredible history with
1: Nickelodeon. I mean, we, we're, we're here in the middle of the Nickelodeon booth here at Comic-Con, and around the corner there's an Olmec. There's a giant Olmec yes. head from Legends of the Hidden Temple. That's you. That's your voice. That was you. Yes.
9: Yes, and Olmec is coming back in a big way with this uh, wonderful movie they have coming out. I've seen a rough cut of it, and it's really great. Uh, I, I met up with Kirk Fogg and producer uh, Scott Stone, and we haven't all three been together since we made the series about—it's uh, over 20 years ago, I think, or, or maybe maybe third season was about 20 years ago—and um, we get to sit down and watch a Legends of the Hidden Temple movie.
1: <laughs> Did you ever think that that was possible when you guys were working on the show?
9: Well, no, absolutely not, because it's actually never been done. I don't think anyone's ever made a movie out of a game show. You've made movies out of video games but not out of a game show. Why do you
1: think that that people looked at Legends of the Hidden Temple the game show and went yeah let's let's find a a narrative in that
9: let's find some story why is that? Well I think there's two I think there's two reasons first of all it's a game show that creates a really enticing world that's this whole universe that you want to be a part of so there's there's the environment there's a whole world to begin with and then unlike other game shows it's kind of a story based game show where you start out and they they sort of thin the herd and then finally you have the you know the champions emerge who then must make their way in you know get the thing put on the monkey head or whatever and get their way out and there's a timer on it there's a beginning middle and end of the whole thing so it's it's like a story and most game shows are not really to that extent at all And so because of that, I think it fits really well. It's it's not a large leap to say... We could actually make a story around this, couldn't we? It's like, well, yeah, I I I guess we can. It turns out it works really well. Do you walk around
1: the house and come up with something that amuses you and go, I'm going to use this voice or this character with an upcoming opportunity? Or do you wait until sort of material presents itself and then let that kind of inspire you or a combination of
9: both? Well, I've had a lot of good uh, improv experience uh, with the good folks at SAC Theater in Orlando for a number of years. Uh, and People like um, Wayne Brady and Jonathan Mangum and Claire Sarah and... Um, the the whole gang of people there were really talented A list improvers, so that kind of experience and training is important for an actor and for a voice actor who does the kind of stuff that my people do, um, voice uh, animation voice actors and and games as well as as things like that. So being ready to improvisationally come up with with ideas on the fly that are fresh and different that's important. It's also important to have stuff sort of sitting on the shelf is how I think about it. And so yes, I do walk around. Um, it's usually when my family's not around, or maybe when I'm at the grocery store, and in Los Angeles you can do stuff like that and it's like, oh that's just a weird guy in Los Angeles or an actor or whatever. And I'll talk to myself in I'll try different voices, or if I hear someone talking on the radio or, or, or on television. I'll start messing around with that, but usually I'll try to warp it and then push it out further and heighten it so that it's beyond this to be to become something a little more um, a little more rarefied or, or horrific or striking or emphatic or whatever uh, and then once I've sort of um, got that Alloy down to something that's pure. Then I just set it on the shelf in my head, and it's like it's there waiting. It's waiting to be used, and 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 almost inevitably, whether it's a uh, a spoken, a speaking character or a sound, you know, you know, like a.
5: If
9: I if I find something up there that's I I I can bend it and express with it, and then I'll mess around with it long enough that I can remember it, then inevitably soon i'll find a way to use it that's, that's how it works but but i think you know if you're into anything you're always trying to find to tap into new wells that of springs that 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 can feed what it is you do yeah. that you don't just keep doing the same thing over and over again and, and again that's the improvisational training where you want to keep things fresh and you want to keep it fun and keep keep failing keep learning from failing and and keep trying new ideas. That's 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 uh, very, very important. While talking to you just now, I just got this thought. Are you a big karaoke guy? I bet karaoke is super fun with you. It's probably a, a real ball. Yes, well, I love showing off. I love doing that kind of stupid stuff. I Unfortunately, I don't have much time to do it these days. But uh, but I, I like doing karaoke. I usually end up singing a Sheena Easton song for some reason. Yeah. I, I don't know what that is, but... Uh, um, Yes, karaoke, any chance to show off and be an idiot, that's, 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 that's close to my core. I love that. What is it like, how do you manage,
1: if you feel it at all, the sort of pressure of coming stepping into something that's already established? Because you're also right there from the ground floor, you're at the ground floor of a lot of properties that are unknown and then they become these huge, massive things. But to come in on something like Daffy Duck, yeah. relatively early in your career, stepping in for Mel Blanc, I mean, how did you sort of deal with that pressure if you felt any?
9: Well, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of pressure with that. Uh, fortunately, when you're young and, and stupid, you're not afraid to try something big uh, because what do you have to lose? Right. And, and there's also, again, a kind of confidence that you get as an improvisational player that um, you take your own shot at something and you give it your best shot and that's it. And ultimately, you have to trust that if the people hire you, they like what you're doing and you're doing a good job. So I think it's easy to consume yourself with self-doubt and worry and all those things. I mean, I'm doing Daffy Duck again right now for uh, the uh, Warner Brothers uh, Wabbit series. Season 2 is going to have a lot of Daffy Duck, and it's really good. It's really funny. And, um, you know, going back into it, it's, it's like, you know, I want to do Daffy Duck. I want to do better Daffy Duck. Man, this is, this is suddenly, this is way more Daffy Duck than I've ever done um, but ultimately, like the clones, where you start wanting to hit something that's that's more of a uh, an impression that's authentic to what was previously created, but then ultimately you have to become satisfied with your own flavor to it because it's going to be your own thing. It's going to be a, a little bit different flavor while still trying to honor what the original uh, performance was. So. I'm okay with it, I guess.
1: <laughs> so you're known for your you're known for your uh, beautiful animal sounds and your creature sounds yeah. and these these uh, these otherworldly things that you can do with your a voice. That's my Momo. That's my favorite. Uh, so two questions for you: When did you realize that you could do this, and when do you think that other people became aware and then you became known as the sort of creature guy?
9: Yeah. Well. Uh, When I was doing stand-up with my buddy Aaron from college uh, in the late 80s um, we had this weird stand-up act that it was really good for five minutes and uh, my half of it was doing like weird characterizations and weird vocal stuff and I just I liked doing that. I like like outlandish characters um, and just weird sounds not doing jokes. I didn't want to do jokes. Yeah. It was more, if you call it performance art, although art's a little strong. <laughs> and so, that's just something I like to do. Then once I started getting gigs out here, which at first were more comedic, uh, wacky cartoony type characters, but I would see that, you know, oh, here's a show where they need a dragon. You know, like a, Or here's a show where they need a dog. or where, And I, it's like, well, I'm certainly, I have no inhibitions. Yeah. Having done children's theater and stand up, I, you know, I, whatever, I'll try it. And so I would start trying these things. So I had facility with that, but I also really liked it because I always liked monster movies. And so I've got that in me. I mean, I've got it in my mind and I really like it. Plus, I like animals. I really. I like biology a lot. I studied it in college. You're a photographer, right? You like to... Yeah. Yeah, I like taking pictures of bugs and flowers. dbakerphotography.com. So it's like, this is a good fit for me. So I started working on it. And as I drove around, I would make sounds. And I would... It's like, oh, that's an interesting sound. I can just... ah." (laughs) You know, what can I do, you know, with my voice that enables me to have uh, the range of expression that an actor can bring to a nonverbal character, which is what they need an actor for. If they can do it with a library sound, then they will. But if they need an actor, then it's like, well, they need an actor who'll do the weird stuff but they can make it sound right but also act it. So I just kept working on it and the more I worked on it, the more work I got and it just took off from there. Last question for you, Dee. Here's a fun one. We're at Comic-Con.
1: Do you have a favorite piece of merchandise that came from a show or, or, or from something that you were like... Because it's a dream for everybody to have an action figure made of them. And yes. so you've had that. You got you checkmark that. You've got tons of action figures of your various characters. I mean, you can have... You can... Uh, spend an entire economy getting all of the clones which is great but yeah. is there a specific piece of merchandise where you go oh that's really I really like that that's really cool I didn't know they would do that with that
9: well I mean it, there's some obvious ones there I mean like they recently came out with an old old Captain Rex figure you know old bald Rex who made it from the old series but he's in the new one yeah. And I, I treasure that one a lot, just just because I love that character so much, and, and he's so beloved by fans, so I'm, I'm very proud of that one. I really love the giant plush Appa that I've got, and I, I just always wanted it to be a beanbag. Like really, like this 10-foot plush Appa beanbag. They never merchandised that show properly, and, uh, and I mean... I, I think that would sell like hotcakes. is a is a giant Oppa beanbag. So there's my wish list.
1: That is a brilliant idea, and I'm sure that after the fans have heard this right now, they are going to tweet at Nickelodeon. They're going to make it happen because I would I would buy the hell out
9: of that. That would be so oh, great. Oh, no. I mean the clothing. I mean the clothing alone and Legend of Korra. That's, I mean I, I but it's uh, it's interesting that fans make that stuff, of course, and they probably make it way better than, you know, if it were farmed out to a large company someplace but fans really care about it so maybe you know on pinterest or whatever somebody or or etsy somebody will will start making the um the the avatar uh, merchandise that needs to be made they probably are doing it already d
1: thank you so much for talking to us today this has been a blast we so appreciate you taking the time out of your incredibly busy con this was so great do you have any final messages to the fans here at comic-con or just around the world
9: um, follow what you love, follow your own weirdness and, and, and hang out with the other people that are open to that and that are inclusive with that. and, uh, and never stop following what you love. I would say that. And if you're interested particularly in voiceovers, I want to be a is my site. It's all free information. and it's, it's pretty much everything I've learned about acting and voice acting. if you're interested in exploring that. There you go, look how lucky you guys are Thank you again so
1: much D, we really appreciate it Thanks, it was a lot of fun Guys, on our last day of the con We had the chance to sit down with the cast Of Spongebob Squarepants Themselves, Doug Lawrence who voices Plankton, Tom Kenny who voices Spongebob, Bill Fagerbakke who voices Patrick, Clancy Brown who voices Mr. Krabs, Roger Bumpus who voices Squidward, and Lori Allen who Voices fan favorite Pearl And it was awesome guys, check it out so, guys, <laughs> you've got it. Guys, we're here at. You guys have been doing this for years now. Years, this Comic Con thing. I want to ask you, while I have you here, do you have a favorite fan moment, a favorite fan interaction? Um, I'm seeing that there's like some merchandise around the table. You got like a Hot Wheel there. I'm sure that you guys get a bunch of gifts and everything. You got one, Bill?
0: My favorite. Oh, sorry. <laughs> My favorite fan moment was here about I'm gonna say about five years ago we did a signing I think it was the first big signing we did here might have been for the 10th anniversary and a family came through and there were three children aged roughly from uh, two to eight and they were all dressed like Patrick the mom the dad and all three kids and in fact the same guy just came through today with his oldest one, who's now like 17, and, and it was just really great. Um, you know, seeing five people dressed like Patrick was pretty great.
10: But the weird thing is, I became friends with that family, and now like I, now I hang out with them when they come to L.A. So it's like, you know, the, the weird Patrick family. Even though they didn't dress like SpongeBob, I still uh, hang out with them. I was hurt, but I bounced back.
11: My favorite moment was today was when I got to go to the bathroom. It was awesome. How was, number one, or was, number uh, Number number one. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. It was a really good one. It was a really good one. <laughs> I went number
10: two. He puts the P in panel.
11: How
1: often do you guys, because you have that beautiful anonymity of being voice actors, how often do people recognize you for your work? How often do you get asked to do voices just when you interact with people? I imagine that a thing like Comic Con is where you do
10: most of the fan meeting. Is that kind of the case? Uh, Clancy is uh, Clancy is out of luck on that on that level because uh, he does so much on camera, and Bill uh, uh, is too. Yeah, these guys, are, they, you know, they're busted. But. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but Clancy, what is I that? They know you from 8,000 other things. I
5: don't
4: if they don't said, know me from Esri
10: Cred. Clancy's nerd cred uh, footprint is uh, gigantic. So, you know, he's he's like the president when he walks through these rooms. I always say, like, this comic cons are like an alternate universe where voice actors are movie stars. It's like you step into Earth 2 through the dimensional doorway for a couple of days, and then when you leave, it's back to Earth 1 where voiceover actors, uh, most people don't know them. But the people that do are super enthusiastic, so it's 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 kind of a win-win.
2: Uh, I was just gonna say, so it's fun playing Pearl because I'm recurring, but I'm often on the show, and the writers this season, and I guess last season, going to the season write more and more, so it's absolutely insanely fun. And I uh, I think by the t- like I I think it was the last time I was out, this one little kid came up to me and he was like, I think I was telling Tom, he must have been like. Six uh, Five Five pushing six And he had two little Twin sisters And he was like Do the voice And so I was like Hi right, what's your name And he was like uh, Stan I was like Hey Stan It's nice to meet you and then his little sister was like, and spit at me. And he's like, "You're right, Dad. It's not her." And he gave me the finger and he walked off. It's just hilarious. It's not a very like totally like PG Nickelodeon moment. I love but that story. Yeah. it's hilarious. They did not stories. believe me.
11: Answer. We'll be cutting that out. That's great. Right? Exactly. Sorry. But little
2: kids, I swear. Little kid today, there was a bunch of girls that got so excited. They were just like so giggly and bubbling. They're like, "We love Pearl. We dressed in pink." It was just so sweet, and they were adorable. They just like they like bounced down the line. They were just adorable. And then I might have gotten it. It right. And then they spit at me afterwards. Yeah, exactly. That was great. It was great, great, great. great. I got
1: to go back to the act- the, uh, the question about the, the uh, favorite fan moment, which is also the grossest fan moment. I was at a convention in Melbourne and got, they had a, a tattoo booth there and a guy had all of our characters tattooed across the top of his back and he had me take my Sharpie and sign it and then he went and got it inked in. And when I was signing it, he had some pimples and some ugliness in the
10: back, and it was oily, and it was just made me just want to spit, and I did. <laughs> the, the punchline to that story is that Roger then went and got a tattoo of that guy on his back, so that was fun.
11: And you can't you pull up your shirt, show it to me. Let's see. It. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh, hey,
10: pimple, pimple-free. Glad that cleared up.
11: Like
0: the way you your back.
10: Clancy, we talked
1: about your nerd cred a second ago, and you're a very well-known on-camera actor, and you mentioned people don't know that you do Mr. Krabs. I remember when I found out, as a youth that it was Clancy Brown that was doing Mr. Krabs, my favorite, one of my favorite voice actors. As a
2: youth. What are you acting like? You're acting like you're 75. As a youth.
1: That's right. Back in the day. But what is that like when, uh, when people find out that you are in fact Mr. Krabs and that you've been doing it this entire time and that you love doing it? Because it's not something that I think people would normally associate with the other types of roles that you do and the type of acting that you do. What's that like? <laughs>
0: Um, they're just a little bit surprised, mostly.
10: And Mr. Krabs is the only picture I carry around with me because usually when people find out you
0: do it, they want a picture, so I sign the pictures for them. That's the only one that you carry around? Okay. It, it is so much better to sign a cartoon picture than your freaking headshot. It's like, oh, why would you want a picture of me? Ew. Oh, but a picture of Patrick, awesome. Yeah.
10: Let's not forget that your headshot, that's your photograph, is usually like 15 years old. That's so just, 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 driving home the fact of how horribly you're aging. So uh, yeah, the fact that it's a drawing that never ages is is uh, the best. It's the best. It's 15 years old and it's still bad. Yeah, (laughs) it's a bad picture from 15 years ago. But but the alternative is to have a, a horrible picture from now. It's a Sophie's choice that I don't care to make. Guys, one of the things we
1: like to ask on the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast for all of our creators, for voice actors, is to go all the way back to the beginning. Do you guys remember your first memory of animation? The thing that you first saw when you were a kid, something that you loved, something that still stays with you today?
11: Yeah, uh, just uh, mostly it was Bugs Bunny. It was all the Warner Brothers and Tex Avery cartoons at MGM. You know, those short, the theatrical shorts from the 40s and 50s. That's... That's the stuff that made me want to be in animation because it was so funny and it was so brilliantly, you know, not just conceived well, but I mean, it's so beautiful. The animation's so great, and I couldn't get that out of my head. I knew the difference when I was like 12 between what I thought wasn't, you know, was stuff that that was that was not as, I don't know. You know, not as uh, well made as the, the older stuff because they had you know, great budgets back then to do stuff. But I think we're trying to keep that tradition going today with this show wow. to make it like those shorts, you know, that we grew up on.
10: The tradition of fighting uh, networks for budgets.
11: Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. Right. Okay. The, the big budget tradition. My first
1: uh, actual experience in animation was uh, uh, soon after the Civil War, and we uh, had we had a, a garretype version of SpongeBob long before this. <laughs>
10: Union yeah 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 (laughs) Civil War joke hey I would say my first cartoon memory and it's one of my earliest like visual TV maybe my first TV memory Max Fleischer Popeye and that just imprinted on me like a mother duckling and I've I still have a weird unexplainable love for that that I can't shake uh, it's probably my favorite stuff ever stuff. even more than looney tunes and stuff like that like yeah. max fleischer stuff yeah, popeye like i don't know why i love them i never get there they're so they're from
0: another planet well i you know i i, I love the looney tunes merry melodies so much when i was a kid it was i loved it so much i you know if i My mother done told me to get something for dinner. There's this one wonderful cartoon about the vultures. It still kills me. And I'm happy to say my daughters, I was able to find some old copies of some old... Chuck Jones stuff And my daughters Loved it too It was a great thing To pass on To my daughters
2: (laughs) So yes I love anything I think I got attracted To anything uh, Animation wise Like voice wise Because my parents Are voice actors So I would hear All of the Mel Blanc Stuff and just be like That sounds like my dad Like my dad can do Any voice My mom can do Any voice And I was like So my ear I think was was listening before my eyes were watching, you know, and then when I saw Scooby-Doo, I was like, oh my God, you know, so that was, I think, uh, between listening to everyone and how they could just change their voice, I was like, that's that's what I want to do, and that's what I can do, so I was like determined that I was gonna do that from when I was really little, and I was like, yes!
1: Clancy, do you have a, the first memory of animation?
0: Oh god. There was a lot of my mom is a pianist, so there's a lot of classical music in the house and oh, I started to I don't know which one it was, but there was uh, uh lists um, Hungarian Rhapsody is on one of these Bugs Bunny cartoons. Yeah, I'm like I
10: love Queen.
0: Yeah. 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 So that got my attention right away and then you're hooked after that, you know. So great. I would like to say that Abraham Lincoln did a wonderful Daffy Doc. Well, what,
1: would, what would that even sound like?
10: Four stories. Four seven years ago. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty amazing. Well, guys, thank you so much for talking to us. We so appreciate the time. I know that you guys are exhausted. It's day four of Comic Con. You're not exhausted? I'm well, not cool. Tom, you're not even human. That exhaustion like
10: is thing. not an option. Exhaustion is not an option at Comic Con. I just want to add that I will destroy everyone within the sound of my voice.
2: And my dad is really super cheap. He won't buy me new pom-poms. And so Vince over there said we probably have pom-pom fatigue.
1: (laughs) Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys, again so much. Be sure that you grab something to eat. We so appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thanks again. I'm going back to my miserable life now. But I'm doing it
5: in a
10: Corvette. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.
1: Well, there you have it, folks, our 2016 Comic-Con special. I want to thank everyone that we talked to, as well as everyone here at the Nickelodeon booth. Be sure to go to nickanimationpodcast.com for all sorts of Comic-Con bonus content, including pictures from the interviews and panels, as well as a picture of me as a contestant on Double Dare. Yeah, that actually happened. This week's episode was produced by Jonathan Highlander, Dana vasquez eberhard Kelly Smith, Andrew Huebner, and was recorded by Oliver Pierce. Our social media guru is Narbe Manassians. Thanks so much for tuning in, and until next time, guys. Keep watching cartoons.